0: Improv, it's the Nighttime Show! I'm Mike Black, the voice of the Nighttime Show. With us as always, our head writer, Matt Walker, our very best friend, Mike Glazer, and our blue-bearded buttfuck of a host, Stephen Kramer Glickman. Jesus Christ. Today is our 200th episode, and we have a guest we've wanted on since, well, all 199 before it. He is... The creator of the view universe, writer, director, producer, and actor, creator of Clerks, Clerks 2, and the upcoming Masters of the Universe revelation, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Smith, and now our host,
1: Stephen Kramer
2: Glickman! <laughs>
1: oh my god. <laughs> Mike Black, Mike Black, Mike 200 Black. episodes strong, folks. 200 strong, baby.
0: I'm gonna go take a nap.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, Kevin Smith. Holy shit! This is the uh, ex- extraordinary. Am
3: I? Am, am I ready to go? You're in. Do oh, well, yeah. I get to speak. <laughs> yes. That was yes. yeah. a hell of an intro, man. <laughs> like I, I just realized how we've been missing an announcer on a lot of things I do. I mean, that, it's like there's something to be said for the gentle art of announcing. And and boy, I, I felt good about that. I felt like we were starting the show. I felt like it was midnight, and I know damn skippy it's (laughs) (laughs) not.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Exactly. Um, So uh, we're at- 200,
3: man. Show 200. How do you feel? Have you ever done- Something two hundred times in a row, other than masturbating.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I think this is the first time I've been part of something that's that's hit that number. You know, I think we've done stuff in the past that's maybe been like you know fifty, sixty episodes, or you do a TV show for eighty episodes, mm-hmm. but but not not something like this. Like this feels like a big deal, and it feels like we've been doing it forever, which is. Uh, you know, we've had people come and go, then that were part of the show, and then moved to other states and left. And the three of us have been a part of it the entire time. And uh, Mike Glazer's uh, helped us, uh, you know, with a lot of the comedy and a lot of funny stuff on the show. But how long? How long have you been doing? Uh, how long did you do the show with with Ralph? Uh,
3: let me see. Well, Hollywood Babylon, we just celebrated ten years. Uh, in uh, oh what was it? God let me see my birthday was august so i guess september october we did september i think it was we did a live show um at uh, the drive-in out here and that was our 10th anniversary show wow. Smodcast i started doing with scott in 2007 so we've been doing it i've been podcasting for 13 years at this point nice. like when i got into it there was um let me see the big podcasts were leo laporte did this Mm -hmm. week in tech um you know bill maher had after time you know the real time extra uh stuff that they do for real time happy tree friends um (laughs) were in the charts which was more animated than anything else so like i saw uh adam carolla come in i saw joe rogan come in i saw the Nerdist come in. I saw Mark Marin come in. Like, yeah, I, I've been here for a damn minute. So we have hit 200 on a couple of the shows we've done. I think Smodcast is over 200. Babylon's over 200. Jane, Tom, Bob, Get Old, I think, got over 200 as well. But wow. it's it, like, think about all the people in your life whoever, like, you know, you're not consistent, man. Like, you can't ever just stick with something. (laughs) And you've stuck, you've now stuck with something for 200 episodes. You just had to find the thing that was sticky, and you found it.
1: Hell yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, like what's what's like a, a really cool thing and I'm sure you've experienced this too, is like, you know, there's people when we started, you know, we made these dream lists and you've been on the dream list for like a long time, Kevin, because all three of us are like we've all been like fans of you, but you know, you've impacted each of us in like different ways. Yeah. Uh, but- like we each wanted you on our list, but our lists all have completely different people on them. Yeah, like Mike Black is like, I got to get RoboCop on the show, you know. (laughs) It's like, we got to get... To
0: clarify, I know that RoboCop's not real.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Peter Weller. The and actor also,
3: of the if, you're gonna, if, <laughs> if you're going to get any OCP employee, man, go for Ed 209. Never mind Robo. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a sad Come oh on. <laughs> Ed, Ed 209, like, you can get him to talk about just the things he's allowed to talk about. <laughs> right. let, me, let me ask you guys something. So you have been doing the nighttime show from the improv forever, and like the rest of us, you don't have a home right now. You're a nomad. Home, right. I yep. have no home. What was it like for you guys to make the transition. Cause when I started podcasting, I did not start in front of people. Me and Scott were just two people in a room doing it. Hollywood Babylon though, when that was born, that was born in front of a live audience. So every episode of that was in front of people and stuff. Jane silent, Bob get old also was like a public podcast, but I have experience with going home. Like at the end of the yes. day, when they like, you can't go out anymore. I'm like, all right, well I'll just do this from home. Like I did at the <laughs> beginning. We, we Was the nighttime show always a live show for you guys?
4: Well, we started off doing the live talk show at the Improv, and then the podcast sort of branched out from that. So we were doing a show that was mostly stand-up comedians coming on and doing stand-up and then having like a couch segment like on Carson. Um, right. And then we started doing the podcast separate from that. So it was a separate thing. And then at some point we were just like, we like the podcast a lot more than the talk show. So we we transitioned to doing it live. So we've been doing, we started doing the podcast, uh not in front of a crowd and then we shifted to where we did in front of a crowd a lot
1: yeah like the one that where we where we like crossed over where we like okay we're going to record the show live at the club uh Josh Roush actually your your guy came oh yeah we, Dr Josh Roush we were yeah. like if we're going to get somebody to help us do this and do it live we we knew that like that's the way to go. So we uh, very uh, carefully we're like, do you mind coming and helping <laughs> us do this? Can we yeah. pay you to make us uh, better? And uh, he
3: was, you know, it's so weird. Like Josh, I always thought of him, of course, as like, oh, he's he's our Babel guy. He's the ba- he's the he's Doctor Josh Rouse. He's our Babel board man. I forgot that Josh actually worked at the Improv. Yeah. And so worked many other shows. And so one of the, the you know, Josh is an incredibly wonderful person to have around. He's a great personality, but a hard worker as well, creative and stuff. But one of the uh, other silver linings to Josh is that he can tell you who is and who is not a dick in the comedy business.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: And I'm here to tell you, he fucking hated you guys. No, he always <laughs> said you guys were I was going to say, enough. well, now I know
0: Kevin Smith's never hiring me. <laughs> <laughs> Screwed
3: now. <laughs> he, liked, he liked you guys a lot. But, like, he has told me stories of people that, you know, he had to put up. Like, the people that, you know, were like, uh, he was the guy they would go to. Where yeah, they were like, yeah. where's my microphone and all this shit. Oh, yeah. So, he dealt with a bunch of different personalities. And he he is he'll very... Readily tell you who who people who were cool, and who who were the people who were absolute dicks. Um, and it's pretty much who you think right. at the end of the
4: day. <laughs> of course, yes. yeah. Well, like, uh, like, well, we know those people too. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. If you
0: have a sneaking suspicion, you're usually correct. <laughs> yeah. When when, uh,
4: <laughs> when we
1: did our our one hundredth episode of the podcast, we decided to do it at with Josh. As the first time doing it live in front of an audience at the improv. And the lineup for that show, this was our guest for the show. Are you ready? It was uh, Lisa Loeb. Uh, started the show off by singing "Stay," mm-hmm. and then we did wow. an interview with her, which was shocking. And like we were like we were we could, but all of us we were, were on staring. a desk
0: sitting behind her, yeah, while she sang. While she, while sang, she sang that,
1: it yeah. was amazing. Then uh, after her, it was, was the
3: first question that you asked her in the interview: like, when are you going to stop singing that fucking
2: song? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Even the is, is, is tired of hearing it. Oh my god! Oh, that's
2: that's usually
3: that's usually the first question I get from people. Who I meet, they're like, "When are you gonna stop talking about clerks?" So I assume, I assume, I assume she's got a bit of that Tracy sure. Chapman thing, where people are just like, "When are you gonna stop singing fast songs?" Right. Like, you, you don't get it. These are our anthems, man. Come so on. wait, who else was on the okay, show? So uh,
1: second up after her was Kate Flannery and Oscar Nunez from The Office. Mm-hmm and uh nice. we we got to ask them also that was really fun. Then it was uh Rachel True from oh, yeah. the craft, yeah wow, um, who else was on that show um uh it was also uh, we didn't have Brody on the first one, did we? He was not on that one okay no. um but it the the lineup was just so big and crazy was and that, full of...
4: Was that also Ed Newmeyer and Casper Van Dien or were there another one? I forget.
1: I think they were on that that yeah. show too where we had the guy, uh, you know, Ed Newmeyer from, uh, who wrote Robocop and Starship Troopers. Roy, writer and, of
3: Robocop yeah. amongst other things. Yeah.
1: Casper yeah. and and well. from Casper uh, yeah. Van Dien from Starship Troopers. So it was like, it was one of these big crazy shows where... It, I feel like, it was I so honest, I
3: feel like you you invited me onto your show just to brag about all the guests you had. Before
2: <laughs> <I got it. laughs>
1: who have you had on
4: <laughs> we your just, show,
3: Kevin? And I, I'm impressed. You, we, you've got me. I'm impressed. I, we really I just want it. someone
0: that appreciates RoboCop as much as we do. <laughs> you got it, buddy. You got OCP forever. They had the right idea. You yeah. know? The, the, the Ed 209 was right.
1: The one uh, the one uh, thing that we did on the show that is probably what well, you would really, truly appreciate is uh, we had Michael Dorn on the show, and we were so excited that we got a – Soccer trophy, like a giant. It was 4 was like six foot feet tall, tall. Yeah, six foot tall yeah. soccer trophy. We replaced all the soccer people on the trophy with little uh, wharfs, golden wharfs, and then uh, oh. from Star Trek. Oh. Right? That we spray painted. And we got we like spray action painted. figures. We got we spray like a big
0: statue too at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah big giant wharf statue the at the top and everything. And,
1: and like, we gave it to him on stage and and said, uh, "You just won greatest." Podcast guest in the history of the universe, and someone photo came out. Like we had a photographer come out and take a picture, as if it was a real award. And then that that photograph uh, ended up like uh, I think was TMZ, TMZ, and yeah. they were like, "Oh, well, Warf wins greatest podcast <laughs> guest in the history of the universe." Like made it like a real thing, and we were like, "This but is tell, not real." Tell them
0: about the award itself.
1: Yeah. Oh, and he took it home with him. Yeah, like he put it. <laughs> he put this giant fucking thing in his car. We just got it. It was like five. Dollars. Like, yeah,
3: Let me garasso. tell you something. If you built the Silent Bob trophy, it'd be hanging
4: in my house.
0: Oh, <laughs> come on. Food oh, for no. thought. We will. De- I think we're
4: gonna. We got something to work on now. You got wow. a 3D printer, Stephen? He, he, he,
3: he probably brought it home and then put it on the stack with all the other work trophies <laughs> yeah, yeah. that people have <laughs> given him over the years. It's like,
2: That's so we use these hasn't. for
3: kindling. We use these for kindling <laughs> when. When, during the quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Wait, you guys are all um, from the uh, comedy biz, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You bet.
3: I backdoored into the comedy biz. I didn't do it the traditional route. I've never had to prove myself like a true stand-up where I had to come up with like a type five or something like that. Yeah. Because yeah. of my other job, I backdoored <laughs> into stand-up. So much so that like I, I'm such a a comedy fan and and respect the genre so much that I didn't do comedy clubs for like the first 10 years of my public speaking career. I did colleges. Yeah. I would do theaters. I would do like Carnegie hall. And then anytime <laughs> they were oh like, Hey, do you want to go play at the improv? Do you want to go play here? I had this weird self like uh, editing where I was like, I can't do that. I'm not really a comic. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I was like a comic will get up on stage and generate I get up on stage and I can't say anything until somebody asks me a question. So I always kept myself very separate from the world of comedy club. And then when podcasting hit, when I started doing that with my friends, suddenly I could conceive of going into a stand-up comedy club because we got to sit down and just have a conversation. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was a weird approach to how I got into um, actual comedy. I mean, I've always loved the it, art of comedy. I will say, it sounds like you went a what? much
0: harder way.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. See, I always think about, like, I don't think I would have had the the tolerance um, or the thick enough skin to do the normal route, where, you know, people, like, because I did another job, people are generally nice to me. But if I was just somebody coming in going, Boy, I really want to do comedy. They'd be like, "Suck my dick, fucking get in line." Who
2: the fuck? <laughs>
3: you know, so I didn't have to put up with that. And I guarantee you, I'm soft. I'm yeah. Jersey soft. I'm not Jersey strong. I'm Jersey soft. <laughs> so if the, if I had to come up that route, if I had to, you know, subject myself to the normal route that every stand-up comedian goes through, where you know you, you walk through those doors and. You might get ridiculed, the audience might hate you, the other comics are gonna be competitive. Nobody's looking out for your best interest and stuff like that. I definitely wouldn't have made it so far. But now we live in a world where, like, you know, you can't go to the improv right now, but if you did get to go to the improv, me and Ralph have our picture on the wall, like right near Ron, <laughs> yeah, no. right near oh, Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld yeah. and stuff like that. It's so wild. it's 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 mind bending to me, man. And 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 it was something that I did treat reverently enough. That I didn't get into comedy clubs until about 10 years ago when we started doing like uh, uh, Hollywood Babylon, which I started at like the uh, first, we did it at SmockF on my own little club, but then we went to the Lovitz. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, did you guys oh, ever play the Lovitz? Oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You bet. Of course. What is it like? Is it when a Lovitz goes away, is that bad for the business?
4: Well, I mean, it's the, irrelevant the pro- to the business, quite <laughs> frankly.
1: No, look, when there was a weird yeah. moment at, at uh, Love It's one day where I was hanging out with, with Jason Muse and he mm-hmm. said, um, You've I said, met him, right? Yeah, you know, you've met Jason. <laughs> Sorry, I go, I go, I go you, listen, man. you
3: guys fucking name dropping again. <laughs> I know. <And>
1: name <laughs> dropping name dropping. I, know. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I cannot. Uh, I was like, man, I was like, man, I, I can't believe this used to be fucking bonkers comedy club. This is so weird to think that, like, Bonkers Comedy Club got like torn down and then they like built this inside instead and and Jay was like, no, Bonkers is next door. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, there's another comedy club next door to, <laughs> <Yes>. to um, <laughs> what's his yeah. name? To, to fucking To Lovitz. To Lovitz. Yes, yeah. And I, we walked out of Lovitz, walked five feet and walked into <laughs> another yeah. gigantic theater that was literally abandoned and it was like <laughs> yeah. the fuck and there was a some of your equipment was in there because you guys were taping some like at, like using it for some episodes or for to to do some stuff. yeah with we that.
3: it was the space that was like Wizards I think it was called yeah. uh-huh. like that yeah. and it had a huge fucking theater in it and stuff where they presumably they were putting on magic shows and people would eat but it was closed <laughs> down they went out of business so Wizards yeah. we was a bar it.
0: shaped like a wizard hat.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. Yeah before it we was Wizards the, it was Bonkers Comedy Club which was We uh, rented the space and we were um
3: put what did we do there? Spoilers the show that we did for Hulu like oh, 10 years yeah. ago, which was like a movie review show. So <laughs> it was weird for at one point in my life, like I would leave the Lovett's and then go over to the closed <laughs> wizards and, and do a show there. I lived up at city walk, man. It was crazy.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: which I, is it's not when people think about stand up comedy, you know, they think about like Caroline's in New York or, you know, the comedy store or the improv or something. But for me, I was like, "We get to go every Friday night. We're the kings of City Walk."
0: <laughs> I always thought City Walk is where I would live if things went Road Warrior. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're up on a hill. You've got that Thunderdome looking area. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so true.
1: Um, the the an evening with Kevin Smith is probably the. Uh, the, the the thing that was the most impactful uh, to me, like uh, to, to learn about the industry from somebody that I was like a fan of already. I'd never seen anyone do anything like that before. How did an evening with Kevin Smith happen? Like how did that first occur?
3: It, it, uh, it started like it goes all the way back to uh clerk's first playing at Sundance because um, first screening in the movie was late at night, so the movie ended at, like, 12 in the morning or something like that. And I remember they were like, do you want to do Q&A after the movie? And I was like, um, no, that's okay. Like, people are probably tired. They want to go home. <laughs> so the first time I was offered a microphone, I passed it up. And so the second screening we had, um, it was, like, of maybe an hour earlier or something like that. So there was time afterward, and it didn't feel too late. And they were like, um, you're going to do Q&A tonight? And I was like, um, yeah, okay, I'll go up. I'll bring Scott with me, Scott Mosier, my producer. Yeah. And we went up and, you know, the standard Q&A at a film festival is very much auteur-driven. It's very staid and very serious and whatnot. You know, we had we made Clerks, so I, I wasn't going to get up there and, and act like uh, a Cine or, you know, <laughs> I made one movie. So I wasn't going to kind of... Come across like an educated, wizened soul. So instead, I I was like, "Hey, man, here, let me tell you a story about how we get the cat to shit on (laughs) cue." You know, and that (laughs) it's a charming, funny story, and the audience would laugh and stuff. And so I I kind of trained doing that. Like, you know, I was never in high school the like class clown. I was too terrified to like pipe up and stuff like that. I was a writer, and I was clever with words and stuff, but I was never a very performative person. So, you know, I, my big dream when I was a kid was I wanted to write for Saturday Night Live, not even perform on it. I just wanted to be one of the writers like Michael O'Donnell. Wow. So when it, when it came to getting up and speaking um, after Clerks, which I did for one year straight from uh, the m- movie debuted at Sundance, January, 94 movie came out in October of 94. So for that entire year, I was at film festivals, just talking in front of it uh, after the movie played. And I always felt like, you know, if somebody's going to put a microphone in your hand, like try to be as entertaining as possible. I had sat through many film festival Q and A's where I was like, man, I was really looking forward to that. And that was fucking boring. Yeah. So God, yeah. like make it fun for them. I always thought. And yeah. so I did that all the time, they force you out in front of your movie to go speak. And and also we were, you know, indie filmmakers, Miramax was distributing our movie and stuff. And the idea was there's nobody famous in the movie. It's not like, Oh, let's go have, you know, fucking, uh, Willem Dafoe go yeah. do press for us. Like, you know, there's nobody in the movie that, that anybody on TV or radio is going to be interested in talking to, but the filmmaker, at least they can get a story out of it you know, because the filmmaker's passionate and wanted to get that movie made. And then when people saw clerks, they were like, well, I hope the filmmaker he at least seems like he might be funny. And I remember like not being funny. I remember presenting as an artiste in 1994. <laughs> like, it's so weird when I go back and listen to interviews with Kevin Smith from 94, I'm like this fucker, he, he doesn't realize he made clerks. Like not Citizen Kane. Like it's a fucking funny movie. He should be funny. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time like doing Q and a on the festival circuit for years. And what year was it? Like, uh, let me see. By the time we were about to start shooting, uh, Jay and Son Bob strike back. So we're talking about, uh, we came out to California. We shot that in most of 2001, but we came out to California in thanks around Thanksgiving 2000. And while I was out here, you know, setting up shop to shoot the movie and stuff. Um, the Academy who I would just become a a member of a couple years ago, after chasing Amy, they invited me to join the Academy, get all those free Oscar screeners and shit. So the Academy was like, Hey, you're going to be in Los Angeles. Would you like to do a Q and a for us at the Academy building? And I was like, Oh my God, I would love to like, what an honor. Fucking, I'm never involved with Academy shit. So this would be great. Mm -hmm. And mind you, I had spent the last, let me see from 1994, until the fall uh, winter of 2000 so a good five six years constantly speaking in front of crowds and trying to be as entertaining and as funny as possible so you know they expected a guy was going to get up and and just do a film you know i'm a director and i've made movies so we're going to talk about film but instead i got up and did like a two-hour stand-up show and so that was based on years of, you know, I went to colleges, I started doing Q&A at colleges, and first we'd show the movie, and then I'd come out, and then I did so many colleges, I was like, ah, look, we've all seen the movies, let's just start with the Q&A, and then the q and A's got longer and longer, longest Q&A I ever did was in Red Bank at the Count Basie. It was a seven hour show. So that's where, like, that's where you're functioning like Springsteen, where you're like, I'm going to outlast the audience. That is when you, <laughs> oh you go from, you start the night with 1600 people and you end the night with 200 hardcore people who are just like, uh, boxers are briefs. Like they never ran out of questions. So by the time I hit the stage at the academy that night in uh, late 2000, I was, you know, that's what I did. I was real good at doing Q&A, which was kind of backdoor stand-up comedy. But I never thought about it like that because I thought of stand-up comedy as an art form. George Carlin was a stand-up comic. I just wanted to be funny with a mic in my hand because I'd watched George Carlin my whole life. You know, my father shared Carlin albums with me. And then when he started doing his HBO specials, we'd watch that. So I had a friend named Mike Stratford. He, uh, I had done the Dogma DVD with him at Columbia TriStar. He was kind of the, the father of bonus content DVDs, like the <laughs> idea of, like, we're going to do behind-the-scenes interviews and stuff. He was the guy that kind of started all that at Sony. So we had done this Dogma DVD together, and so here I was in town uh, about to do this Q&A at the Academy, and I got a guest list, so I was like, Mike, you want to come? And he was like, yeah, totally, why not? After the show, Mike was like, that, that wasn't a lecture. You just did stand-up comedy. And I was like, no, nah, no. Nah, we just talked about the movies and stuff. And he was like, have you ever filmed that? Have you ever shot any of that and put it on film? And I was like, no. Why would I do that? <laughs> and he was like, I, I, I think that would be like a, a good video series. I think we could do a series of directors talking about their work. And, like, you know, it would start with you. Then we'll move out to, like, I know – Barry Sonnenfeld, he's he would be a great storyteller. Quentin Tarantino, we could do a whole series of an evening Whip and and you'd be the first. And I was like, oh my god, fantastic!
4: That's sort of like the so, the video version of like the old like Hitchcock on Hitchcock or some of those books that kind, came out of, with old yeah, kind yeah. of yeah, kind of. It
3: was like you would just sit there and talk to director after director would tell you about their work, their career in front of you know people. Um, the only difference was I you know I, as much as I was a filmmaker. I, after five years, I was also kind of a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I, I was—I had six college gigs that were coming up. So I was like, "Hey, man, like, why don't you guys just shoot me at these six college gigs?" So he was like, "Oh my God, perfect." So all that material, like the Superman story and stuff, I'd been doing for a couple of years, well honed. So it came across like very, like, "Wow, this kid does stand-up," and Mike showed that to Barry. Uh, Sonnenfeld. And Barry <laughs> Sonnenfeld was like, I'm not doing this. He's going, this a, he, he's going I, I can't fucking do that. This, this kid's like amazing. working the stage. Like, <laughs> like fucking Lenny Bruce and shit. So the series never happened. It didn't become a series of directors talking. It was just an evening with Kevin Smith, and then there was an evening with Kevin Smith too, and then we did a third one and stuff, and
2: a fourth one. So
3: it, 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 it came about because of Mike Stratford going like, you tell a lot of funny stories and, and we could totally make a whole series of that. And then it didn't wind up being a series, but it wound up being this kind of cottage industry for me. Like it gave me freedom. Like if I was a filmmaker, you know, I would be my, my fortunes would be dependent on my, on my success as a filmmaker. And I haven't had a fuck ton of success as a filmmaker. So I'd be out of this business a long fucking time ago, but the ability to like not have to rely on filmmaking to earn my living. I can just go out and talk about filmmaking on a stage (laughs) in front of people. That gave me so much more freedom, like a freedom to make different choices than I would have had to have made. And and you probably would have watched like the sad, desperate ending of a once promising career. If I had to rely on, on just directing movies to have an audience, if that was my only thing, like it would have been diminishing returns. I might have made some bad choices and stuff. People already argue I made a lot of bad choices and whatnot. <laughs> it might have been a series of cop-outs instead of just one or something oh, like that. Oh, come on now. <laughs> but, come on. But because but because I was able to, like, like, oh, I can earn by just going and fucking doing a bunch of stand-up and shit, I was able to, like, moderate my career, only make the movies that I really wanted to make which is saying a lot when you see fucking yoga hosers. But, you know, at least (laughs) I'm responsible for my own fuck-ups, not like, well, he had to pay bills or something like that. So it wound up being, evening with Kevin Smith, like, changed my life. Not only did it give me a way to fend for my family without having to be like, uh, I I have something to say. Give me $20 million and Ben Affleck so I can make a movie. Mm -hmm. But it also, like, created me as a personality like suddenly like you know directors there was a time where people didn't really know a lot of directors names you know spielberg of course george lucas uh, quentin tarantino but like you know nobody of my caliber size director would have become a name that people knew outside of the indie film movement or something.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that you don't, yeah,
3: you don't see Soderbergh.
1: You don't see Steven Soderbergh mm-hmm. getting up and doing a, an hour of funny stories from. And this. he could. Let <laughs> yeah. me
3: tell you, I yeah. sat, I sat on a panel with him in 1997 at South by Southwest, and he was so fucking funny, man. But like, the dude's a legit genius, and a, and he's born to be a filmmaker. I was not born to be a filmmaker. Filmmaker was uh, filmmaking was just something that I'm like that looks fun. Let me try it, <laughs> and I got very fucking lucky. And because of that luck, I kept parlaying it into other things where I'm like, well, I've always, well, you know, I thought stand up looked cool. Maybe I'll do that, and like I had a reason to do it because I was up there speaking about the movies, and it's it never felt like a fair way into the world of comedy. Like a true comic gets up there. And, you know, until you build an audience, you're stepping on a stage working cold and you're trying to relate to people off of universal things or things that you might share in common. I walk in with an unfair advantage because I'm like, y'all know me. I made
2: clerks. Let's mm-hmm. do this. <laughs> <You
3: know? laughs> so Seth Rogen said, like, when they were making that movie, um, not Punchline, whatever funny it was called. People, funny, funny People, yeah. Funny People, yeah. yeah. Funny people, yeah. He, said, he said something I thought was really profound where he was like, because of Knocked Up, and because I've been in some movies, when I go up on a stage, like the first seven minutes of me being up there, everything I say gets a laugh. Everything fucking works. Mm-hmm. He's gone by the 10 minute mark. If I don't truly make them laugh, they will let me know. And yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. You have that's to what he found out point. while he was. Yeah. And so for years, I was afraid of being the person that, you know, was a pretender, a phony a fraud uh, in terms of uh, comedy. I, I don't. I always said, like, I don't do comedy. I do q and I need somebody to ask me a question. But then one day I started getting rid of the fucking questions. Like, where, you know, there was one show we did. I forget which one we shot. It was another evening with Kevin. Maybe it was Too Fat for 40, I think it was called. <laughs> but the idea was, like, I let somebody ask a question. It was a standard Q&A. There were lines of people. And the first guy I asked a question, I did the whole night off the one question i did a two-hour show because i had i had all these stories that i knew i wanted to tell so i wrote them down on index cards just the names of the stories and then put them on the stage so that when i'm walking around i could always like as one story was ending i could be like oh now i'll go to the bruce willis story and pivot into that and stuff and so the dude asked me like what was it like to work with bruce willis (laughs) <laughs> and then two hours later, after all these stories, I was like, So I guess working with Bruce Willis was like, oh. and, and once I did that, then I was like, Well, I guess you don't really need the questions anymore, as well. And so the last like stand up special I did was for Showtime. The one that we shot the night of my heart attack, and it was uh, Kevin Smith. We went called it "Silent but Deadly," which was the name of the show before I almost fucking dropped dead. That night. But
2: shit.
3: that show was like literally a show with no question whatsoever. It was me literally pretending that I am a stand-up comic coming out and just fucking doing material. However, if you ever watch it, it is it's cushioned with a lot of like you know, oh well. If you enjoyed Mall Rats, you'll enjoy this story kind of thing. Like once again it's not it's cheating. It's not a strict comedy show. Where that's somebody not, has to go up there and fucking create new
1: material uh, that people generate. That's with not cheating.
0: With. Gallagher had watermelons. <laughs> yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, come on. Every,
0: <laughs> everyone has the, the, their, their, you their bailout sort of thing. You <laughs> Gallagher <know>? using, <laughs> had using the, watermelons.
3: Using the Gallagher excuse doesn't make me feel any better. So like, I feel worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the excuse I use all the time. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. No. No.
2: No. Uh, that's But you not, know what, man? Yeah. It,
3: it, it also conjures sweet memories of how many times, like, I watched. Gallagher shows when Showtime when we first got cable TV <laughs> yeah, remember oh, yeah. they had back-to-back shows they would have Gallagher and then they would do John Biner's Bizarre show I the show yeah. Loved Bizarre. Super Dave Osborne.
0: Yeah. yeah, with Super Dave uh, Bob yeah, Einstein uh, the, the
3: late great Bob Einstein the late great Bob Einstein <laughs> I remember when he popped up and other things and I was always like that's Super Dave Osborne and uh, Like Arrested Development. He had a really good run on Arrested oh, Development. Oh, yeah, he was, was awesome like, on that show. That's Super Dave, man
1: Hey, Matt, before we continue doing the show, we got to talk about what we're talking into.
4: These Sennheiser microphones are fantastic. Yeah,
1: they are literally top of the line. The best company in the world when it comes to microphones, headphones, audio equipment like this. I mean, it's
4: just so damn good. If you want to sound good talking into something, get yourself some Sennheiser microphones. Yeah, it makes you
1: sound epic. Mike Black, uh, say something epic. Space. The final
0: frontier. Ba, 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 These are the voyages. Ba, 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 uh, if ba, I say ba, any more lawyers will get involved. <laughs> 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 exactly.
1: But way, I so, said it clearly and you can hear it clearly. <laughs> God, I can hear it. I, I, it sounds perfect. Um, hey, uh, go and uh, go check out Sennheiser. If you are looking for audio equipment, uh, you're looking for a great microphone, this is the one to use. Mike, uh, Matt, what's what's this one called that, that we're using? Uh, this
4: is the MD-42. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. Find them at Sennheiser com you bet all
1: right let's get back to the show
5: do you think when you're making a new when you're making a new movie do you, are you thinking about when you're going to hit the road and tell those stories and you're kind of banking new things to talk about and it has become a a big part of the promotional and marketing of the tour while also giving you a chance to work new things out on stage
3: i'll do you one better man i like i started doing the cw shows like i started directing some flashes and Supergirls, I directed three episodes of Flash, four episodes of Supergirl. Awesome. And the first one I did because I was a big sh- fan of the show. I thought it was brilliant. Um, then I came back from that first show, and it gave me two hours of material. So, like, <laughs> suddenly, all every q and I was doing, all the comedy clubs I was doing, all the podcasts I was doing, I was killing it with, like, Flash material because my audience, I don't have to educate them. I'm not, like... Flash is a TV show where the boy solves (laughs) his problems by running fast. (laughs) Like, they're familiar with it and shit. I love that
0: explanation of the Flash, though. (laughs) A boy solves his problems by running fast. (laughs) That's Uh, the the best best explanation explanation. I've ever heard of
3: anything. Oh, shit. Uh, (laughs) It belongs in TV Guide. But I found, like, that by going up there and directing an episode, you know, you're up there for about three weeks doing an episode, I come back with material. So then I started like saying yes to going up to do CW shows. Number one, I like the people up there. They're real great and shit. Number two, it's in Canada. I always like spending time in Canada. But financially, I'll be honest with you, I make more money. Like you're out of commission for three weeks when you direct one of those shows. And I make more money standing on a stage talking about making an episode (laughs) of Supergirl (laughs) than I do three weeks directing an episode of Supergirl. (laughs) So I realized like, okay, I give three weeks to doing a show. I'm going to walk away with material that I'm going to go earn a lot of money off of because it's content for the next, you know, two months or something like that. So definitely there are some things that I do going the first, the primary focus is this, but the secondary benefit is going to be this. And when we made Jane Bob reboot whole time, I was just like, Oh my God, this is material for the next three years. Like, you know, and, Sure enough we did a tour with that movie where we went to 65 cities so every night I got up and had to tell fucking stories I had to fill an hour after the show
4: and you've got and the all whole that, that, road to reboot that you did as part of that right
3: Absolutely man so it's like yeah. I you know I'm I feel like I'm in the content generation business uh, but most <laughs> days I just feel like I'm in the sales business and what I sell is like fucking Kevin Smith 24/7
1: Yeah, I mean, big shout out to uh, David Baxter and Claire uh, and everyone at Legion M for uh, making you know making this happen. Uh, You know, like helping us put this together with you, but uh, but also for doing a great job with their distribution and the stuff that they've been doing. Because I mean, I watched uh, the the reboot. I thought it was fucking hilarious. It was a great movie.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, thank you. What about that Iron Man? That
1: Iron Man costume thing? That big. That big uh, Iron Bob. Where Iron is Bob. That? Did you keep it? Did you did you hold uh, me to the it? The guy who
3: created it has it in his shop, uh, but we're hopefully going to be moving it into the Jane Tom Bob's secret stash in Redback Comic Book Store. But Bob Kurtzman, who was part of KNB Effects Group back in the day, um, he built Tusk for you know our oh, Walrus Tusk. Yeah. Oh shit, those
1: terrifying! Um, he
3: built the Iron Bob. <laughs> he also built Marky Mark's Dick and Boogie Knight. He was the guy that <laughs> what. Built the giant dick as well. So he built Iron Bob, and uh, yeah, hopefully now Iron Bob is going to be coming back to the stash, but he's in storage right now. The guy who wore the suit in the movie, the actor, Kevin, um, was in the movie Iron Man as the kid in the Humvee in the first scene where Robert Downey Jr. is like, throw up gang signs. No, oh, no, no wow. gang signs. Okay. It was that dude. Actually wearing the Iron Bob suit in James Bond, Bob, <laughs> <laughs> and James Bob.
2: Wow! So That's
3: it took amazing. him ten years, but he went from the guy outside of the suit to the guy. Inside. <laughs> sadly, sadly, the you know the guy outside of the suit was an Iron Man, and everybody saw that. And the guy inside the suit. <laughs> Was in Jay and Tom Bob reboot, and I think my mom just watched it recently.
1: <laughs> you know, when uh, when Star Wars was happening, I know that you know like you talked about going to the set of, of that and and stepping onto the Millennium Falcon and the and the all the stuff that you know went through you while that was happening and stuff. And there was a lot of rumors and a lot of stuff flying around that you know that you were in line or that you're in line to do something with them. Is you know to do a Star Wars film or or something like that. Is that is that a a, a part of? Because I mean, you right now you're. I mean, I don't know if you're currently working on it, but you are doing Masters of the Universe, which is another piece of like all of our histories, and we all fucking love yep. Masters of the Universe. But is there other stuff that you want to do? Like, is there th- you know, are you going to get to you know get to do Star Wars or get to work on a Marvel thing?
3: I don't think like I I, I love the Marvel stuff, like absolutely love it, but. I love it as a fan and I never once look at that shit and go like, Ooh, I want to make it like I'm content to be in the audience for that stuff. Number one, I'm not visionary enough to pull that stuff off. Uh, <laughs> they got people who are like really good at directing motion pictures who are visionary. who will come up with like imagery and shots that are like, Oh, this would be badass." I don't really think that way. So like, you know, the only reason then to do the job is just like, cause it'd be fun. But, you know what else is fun? Like making a Kevin Smith movie. And you know how easy it is? I'm Kevin Smith. Like, I'm the only person <laughs>
2: that, that wants
3: to or, or shows an interest in doing it. Me wanting to make like a Marvel movie, I got to prove myself to somebody. I got to go hat in hand and ask somebody else. And then, even if I get the job, the reward for me pretty much ends there where I'm like, oh man, somebody thought I was good enough to direct one of these movies. Then I would actually have to spend a year doing that. <laughs> And you know, when I do the CW shows, as much as I love them, they're only like eight days. And by day six, I'm I'm like, we're not finished with this yet. <laughs> this is still happening. So I know I don't have the constitution, the the patience, the I, the creativity, the the talent to pull off like a Marvel movie. I love watching those movies. I would never want to make one. If they wanted to put me in one of them, in a fucking heartbeat. I would, I would step on my mother's neck to be in a Marvel movie because I would, weird I would get more out of being in a Marvel movie than I would from directing it. Like yeah. my yeah. brand and what I do, it'd be more valuable for me to be in that movie than for me to be the director of it. Number one, what if I'm the director that fucks up a Marvel movie? And then right. like not yeah. only are people like, man, you went in and fucking, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. And you fucked it up and
2: stuff. <laughs>
3: so then, and so, but but if I'm in the movie, then everyone's like, oh, fuck, you got in a Marvel movie. Like, it's a Marvel <laughs> yeah. celebrating. celebrate. Even if your performance is terrible, people are just like, oh, good for you and shit. So it's more valuable for me to be in a Marvel movie than it would be for me to make one. Same with Star Wars. Like, a lot of people are like, uh, what about Mandalorian, man? They're making a cool-ass show. And I'm like, I love that show. It is a cool-ass show. But I don't know how to make cool ass shows. And I think I, I would, I'd show up on that set and I would be a liability. So, but if, do I want to be in that show in a fucking heartbeat, man? Yep. If they told me that are like, you got to go to the most COVIDy part of the country and shoot this shit without a mask, and plus the scene requires you to lick 200 extras who will also
4: be maskless,
2: I would
3: be like, that's so going to be worth it because I could talk about this shit. I'll talk about this weird deal. From now until the end of time, anyway, that
1: got me on the show. So great, so great. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, now,
0: uh, since you, since we brought up Masters of the Universe, yes, and I'm probably the biggest Masters of the Universe fan in Los Angeles, yes. I cannot tell you how excited I am that you cast Mark Hamill as Skeletor.
3: Oh fuck oh, yeah! He's. Let me tell you, as excited as you are now. Wait until you hear him orate. it is, <laughs> it's fantastic. He's the whole cast is wonderful. This masters of the universe series. I'm abs- I'm in love with it, man. Like if this was how I could do a Marvel movie and this is kind of us doing a Marvel movie when we sat down with the writer's room, you know, cause I was the uh, uh, show. So mm-hmm. I came up with a story and then I got a staff and then, you know, we wrote uh, our episodes and stuff. And as we were sitting there kind of putting this all together and whatnot, I was not like, man, this is going to be some career-defining work for me. We were just trying to tell a cool story. But now I've seen four fully animated episodes. I've seen uh, 10 animatics uh, and four fully animated episodes so far. Um, It is, I I swear to you, and I'm not not hyping this, this is like – right next to clerks and dogma for me in terms of like the pride that I have for this project, this masters of the universe Netflix series turned into something so fucking wonderful. It is so it, it it honors the thing that it, that, that spawned it. And you know, we don't reinvent it. We literally tell the next story. It's as if you were watching the classic show and then the next episode was this, Mm -hmm. um, So we continue on with a storyline that like was, was in the classic series. Um, we deal with every character and all of the stakes are real. Like for the first time, these cats can actually clash swords. Somebody could die. Somebody could die. Somebody could feel betrayed. Like, you know, we're not taking these and making them adults. And as much as like, and now they all fuck each other,
2: not at all, (laughs)
3: but now they're, they're dealing with adult feelings, adult situations. Like it's just not, it's the series isn't about teaching kids moral lessons. It's about telling this epic story of adventure. Um, and it turned into something so wonderful. Like when we sat down in the writer's room, it was me, um, Eric, Dia. Mark, Mark Bernard, my co-host from uh, the Man Beyond, um, and Tim Sheridan. We were the writing team. Mm-hmm. We all said, like, we're all Marvel fans, Marvel movie fans. We were like, let's just try to do this like a Marvel movie. Let's just try to make it as approachable while still honoring the thing that it absolutely is um, by, by making these characters feel real. What I love about the Marvel movies is they tell stories about super superhumans, but first they tell the story about a human. And then the yeah. super shit comes later on. Like you're tied into these characters, not because they're like, this is the strongest person in the world It's because you identify with how this character feels, how this character behaves, how this character speaks. So it's all about character and man, oh man, we got a cast to reflect the characters that we wrote. Like our, our boss, Teddy at Netflix, he, he gave us very simple marching orders. He's like, look, this was my religion. I love Star Wars. I love Batman. But Motu was my number one growing up. in <laughs> oh every, every episode he said, I watched, I believed that He-Man was in jeopardy. I believed that Skeletor was on the verge of killing him. This is and Ted so, Biaseli, right? Yes. Yes, the great Ted Biaseli. So Ted goes, look, just do me a favor. This is what I want from this show. Make me believe that again. Give me a show where I feel like people are in jeopardy. There are stakes um, that, that like things aren't going to end well for everybody. Like, no. I want to feel that he was like, just these characters are rich. He said, it's a rich world of intellectual property. He said, just take these characters and treat them like Shakespeare. And with those marching orders, we told like this incredibly serious, but fun adventure story involving the entire cast of the masters of the universe. Man, And I, absolutely love it i watch it obsessively um as every iteration comes in uh when i have nothing to do when i've like uh, it's five in the morning and i've woken up (laughs) and i don't want to start writing and i don't want to start doing anything else but i do want to start smoking i start smoking and i rewatch the episodes man they're just so wonderful the cast mark crushes it absolutely a skeleton as you imagine he would lena uh hetty Absolutely crushes it as Evil Lynn. Oh my God. Um, I didn't know
0: she was playing that part. That's.
3: Oh, awesome. it is astounding. It, she is like, just imagine Cersei as Evil Lynn. She, she's <laughs>
2: wow.
3: spellbindingly good. She's better than our show deserves. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller crushes it as what? our Tila. Chris Wood crushes it as our He Man. Um, I got Jason Mewes in there, Stink or, um, yes, we got hell him, uh, yeah. Liam and, and <laughs> Liam Cunningham who played. He was on uh, Game of Thrones as well. He was the Onion Knight, Sir Davos. <laughs> he is our that's our man at arms, and he sounds oh, nice. like like your British dad. He's so fantastic. Um, Griffin Newman, oh he's great, He plays Arthur on The Tick, and he does uh, that. You know, he's he, you know Griffin. But for those who maybe don't know Griffin, if you ever watch the new version of the tick on Amazon, he plays Arthur. Griffin's uh, Orco is <laughs> spellbindingly wonderful. Like, I honestly feel he might win an Emmy or an Annie or whatever fuck award they give out for this sort of thing. See, a lot of these you just now hearing because did, did I, I
0: heard the announcement at PowerCon about Skeletor, and that was about it. Did De- so is all of these Vader? sound awesome? <laughs>
1: Well, th- no, oh. this is exactly, is Dietrich Bader doing trap jaw? Is that, is that happening yes, too? Yeah, and also, oh yeah, he's
3: doing, Dietrich does trap jaw, but he also, more importantly, does King Randor. Oh, and nice. And King Randor is so fucking good. And that's King Randor, dude. That's yeah. not even like, you know, the sexy character. His King Randor... <laughs> is fucking worth mentioning. And King Randor is not even one of our top 10 characters in the fucking show. Did you, but Diedrich absolutely crushed it, man. I, I worked with him, of course, on Jane and Tom Bob Strike Back, and then years later on Jane and Tom Bob Reboot. And
1: I love Diedrich.
3: He's yeah. one of my favorite actors on the planet.
1: Who who did Is Merman on the show? Is he going to yes. show
3: up? And it's Kevin Conroy doing Merman. Oh, Batman shit. is Merman. Oh, my <laughs> God.
1: Wow. He is fantastic. Damn. And he, com- he
3: comes oh, across fuck. like King Lear. Oh, it's, it's so good. <laughs> wow. Um, Who's He-Man? We, we, He-Man is Chris Wood, nice. Christopher Wood, who um, I knew, I met him while I was working on Supergirl. Um, okay. He he played mon on Supergirl. I love him to death. He He's a dude that, like, if I was doing Fletch, um, he would be my choice to play Fletch. Oh, he's wow. so fucking wow. good, so talented. Oh, so he, he's our He-Man and our Adam, of course. Um, you know, we naturally, since my, my background, His comic books, we lean heavily into the dual nature of the character. You know, when He Man was first created by Mattel, there wasn't like a Prince Adam. It was just like, this He Man, he's the most powerful man in the universe. He fights Skeletor. Yeah. DC Comics, when when they started doing Master's Universe comics, DC introduced the notion of, and his secret identity is Prince Adam, like which (laughs) they took right from Superman because that's what they were used to doing and stuff.
0: Yeah. So and it was about as good a secret
3: of, identity, too, at the time. You know? I know. It, it, yes, exactly. I mean, Superman, more convincing with a pair of glasses. <laughs> yeah. Adam basically went from, like, pink clothing to bare skin. That's right. What made him the big difference. Now that I'm so, naked, uh, no one will
2: recognize me.
3: <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm telling you, man, it's like, when I got this gig, I was like, oh, I think I could do this. Like, you know, I, I, I'm... I I watched a lot of He-Man growing up, but, like, I was past the toy collecting age, so I didn't buy He-Man, but I was well familiar with the mythology and stuff. So I was like, look, you know, even though I'm not as deep in the He-Man and Masters universe as I am in, say, Marvel or DC, I think I could pull this off. And nice. damn it, man, like, it, it, it ain't just me. It's me and the team and Powerhouse Animation. The cats that do um, Castlevania, they Ooh. do Blood of Zeus, which is on Netflix right now um they're doing the animation and boy they 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 just created a cinematic looking cartoon man. so i'm telling you it is it's the thing i'm most proud of right now in the world where i'm like you know man this master of the universe thing turned out way better than i expected it would and way better than i think anybody's expecting it might be man it's engrossing i've showed it to cat who have nothing to do with he-man don't know he-man aren't involved with the production and whatnot and they get sucked in, like way sucked in. It's it's wow. just really okay. wonderful storytelling, man. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's me. I'm saying our entire team across the board. And we had great leadership from Teddy, who's a huge He-Man fan, and when he goes to PowerCon every year and whatnot. Yeah. So this was like – it's like having somebody – you couldn't go wrong. You couldn't have a misstep because you had the world's biggest He-Man fan there. And yeah, then I'm Rob,
2: our boss the over at
1: Mattel, goes, the same right? way.
5: I can't wait to smoke <laughs> and watch. Yeah. My God. Uh, were you able to it's, sneak yourself in there at all?
3: Yeah, I, I do. I get a little voice action in there. Great. Very, very, very. Can very I guess small, who you? I, can I guess who you play? You, you could try, but you'll never get it. Go, Fisto. No, <laughs> <laughs> I gave that to a dear friend of mine. <laughs> well, that's good. who we didn't announce yet, but like for sure, I gave that to somebody. <laughs> um,
0: that is a high honor no, I, to give I,
3: somebody. I, it really was. It really was, and it would have been too too grabby. I felt like for me to
1: take it. <laughs> oh, man. I would have been tempted. I would have totally been tempted to take this. Is, out. is Harley doing anything on the show? Who is? Is Harley doing anything?
3: Harley, at one point, yeah, she was playing a character, but then in a rewrite of the episode, we kind of took the character out, oh. so she didn't wind up in this run. But uh, you know, she didn't seem to mind. Too much. She wasn't <laughs> like right. she wasn't mad or insulted. Yeah, she. I was just like, we changed the plot line, kiddo. And so that character just went away entirely and stuff. Uh-huh. We had to do that to save time. We wrote massive scripts. Like, you're talking about episodes that are like maybe 25 minutes max, but we wrote hour long scripts. So we had to do a lot of cutting. And she's, so her character went she's away. A,
1: in, she's incredibly talented and so fucking funny. She, I, I, oh, I, you're I,
2: too sweet. No,
1: no. Yoga hoser. she was fucking great. And in the reboot, she was fucking great. I mean, like. She's a very, very t- – and very nice person, very talented and very sweet.
3: She's good, yeah, she's a good kid. I'm happy for her, man. She just turned 21 in April, and now she's out in Dallas working on this show called Cruel Summer for Freeform and stuff. And it's kind of her first, like, thing that's all hers away from home. Like, she was in Quentin's movie. She was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But oh, yeah, she was here She was here at the house, so she would come home and would be like, ooh, what was it like and shit? But this is her – like doing something that has nothing to do with me and it's like she's out in Dallas like far away from us so this is her like she didn't go to college so this is kind of like her going away to college uh, because she'll be there for like five months and stuff so I'm happy for her man like she's you know she's committed to to acting and I'm like I remember when she first started talking about it and she first talked about like I don't want to go to college I want to act and stuff Jennifer my wife was just like no no you got to encourage her to go to college and I'm like I can't. I dropped out of college and I made clerks like when I was a kid. Like I can't like tell her, no, you got to do the responsible thing. So I'm glad the acting thing's working out for her. I mean, I mean I knew she was always going to be in the stuff I did, but I'm glad she gets hired by other people because I know that's good for her self-esteem. Number one, number two, I don't make as much shit as, as you know, it's not like I do something every fucking week or something. So I, you know, it's good that she's got a job.
1: Hey, uh before we continue doing the show, I we gotta talk about uh the, the equipment that we're using mm-hmm. To make the show, uh, make an epic show that is. Uh, it sounds like you know everyone is right here, like yep. we're all sitting together, but we're not.
4: We've got a fantastic multi-track recorder from Zoom. Um, yeah. If you need multi-track recordings, that's the only company you should even be looking at. Um, basically, we had issues when we had to switch to doing things during a pandemic, mm-hmm. and we were we went from doing a show with people in person to people over the phone, and Zoom just made it a piece of cake.
1: Yeah, you bet. Zoomcorp.com is the website. And uh, there, you know, th- this has made it so that we could interview people in uh, Nigeria, New Zealand, New Zealand, um, yeah. Guatemala, of, um, uh- Austria, Czechoslovakia like the Czech the Czech Republic. Um when we were Are doing you just all naming those countries now? Yeah. Well, no, when we were doing all the interviews <laughs> with the cast of uh 90 Day Fiancé, we were yeah. talking to people, you know, in, the, in the Ukraine yep. like mm-hmm. we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff and then just the other day when we had uh, John Reese Davies on the show from New Zealand. He was in New Zealand the whole time. Sounded it like sounds it was like here. He was sitting in the room with us. Yeah. yeah. It truly is
0: the mark of excellence for podcasting. Zoom, LiveTrack L8, 8-Track Mixer Recorder, the board for creators, podcasting, music, and beyond.
1: Yeah, it is a badass system, and uh, we're very lucky to be working with uh, Zoom. Go check out ZoomCorp.com. That's ZoomCorp.com. Zoom, you have to say it three times. That's what people do in ads, right? What is it, Stephen? ZoomCorp.com. Com. It's zoomcorp.com. We're talking about zoomcorp.com. All right, let's get back to the show.
5: It's, uh, that's awesome. I want to go back for one second, speaking of working on your own stuff, because you said, if I don't feel like writing yet in the morning, is that your sweet spot now to wake up, hey, maybe have a little routine and then get cracking on something you're excited about?
3: Yeah, generally, that's what I've always done. I'm a morning person. So, uh, I, I kind of, uh, um, I, I, Sleep pretty hard at night and like get a real, real, real solid five or six. Um, But generally, when I'm in a writing mode, if I'm working on something, I don't like to even sleep. Like you know, it's almost sleep only as a necessity because you know you're getting to create. You're 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 playing God. You're making a world. Like why go to sleep and dream when I could literally dream on the keys and stuff like that. <laughs> So it's very easy to like wake up and feel motivated because I want to see where the story's going. I want to see how it's going to end and stuff. Oh, you don't so, do yeah, outlines. I, I,
5: you just let it flow and then figure it out as it develops.
3: Yeah, very much so. Wow. And that's probably why like I don't write good shit, but like I just kind of, <laughs> I I, I, just, I don't do structure and I don't like, you know, do notes and stuff like that. I just kind of, you know, sit down and go like what would this person say? Now what would this person say? And then follow through through there you have a general idea of where you want things to go, or, or it's in the movie, but or in the in the script, whatever it is you're working on. But it, it, yeah, I, I, if it, if I had to do like cards put up on a board, that always feels like work to me. And like I, I never want this to feel like work. I want it mm-hmm. to be fun. Like the moment it feels like work, I feel like I've kind of lost the, the thread. And you know, I'm I'm sure there's a bunch of screenwriting uh, experts and people who are very gifted and get paid a lot of money to do it, who would disagree with me and stuff. But outlining just reminds me of elementary school and homework. And and I'd rather <laughs> just just kind of run and be free. And, you know, I'm spoiled in as much as the first thing I made, I made um, by myself on my own and it got picked up. So I was rewarded for that, for that kind of like, oh, I just want to do what I want to do. Fuck convention. And so I'll be fighting that my whole life. My whole life I'll be fighting you know, the idea to be conventional because it worked out for me, you know, in the beginning, yeah. that's how I got here. I can always defend whatever I'm working on. Even yogos, by being like, look, doing weird shit is how I got here in the first place. Not taking the safe route, not making the safe choice. That's how I got here. And I've been here for 26 years. So I got to honor that journey. And I'm not saying like, I can't grow as an artist, but like for me, writing has to be fun. Otherwise it becomes too much like work and outlining and writing cards and then like mapping shit out. I'd rather just do that while I walk or while I drive or while I'm sitting there smoking before I sit down to the keys. I mean, writing like 90% of it happens before you even sit down in front of the keyboard. It's just all the whimsying that you do all day long and something strikes your fancy. And you're like, Oh man, imagine that. And you just imagine if we did this, what if this happened to this person? I'd like to blow it up into this and just change this and blah, blah, blah. And so all the writing, by the time you sit down at the keyboard for me is pre-done i just have to get it out so it's never like i got to get up and be disciplined like by the time i get up in the morning it's tough to keep me away from the keyboard um and just because like you know it's it's not like a real job like i imagine if i had to get up in the morning and go make the fucking donuts or whatever like <laughs> i would you know i wouldn't get up i wouldn't spring out of bed like jennifer my wife takes her like three hours to wake up. She gets out of bed. <laughs> fucking, don't talk to me until I can drink coffee. and, Like, you know, just real like inhumane to her husband and shit like that. <laughs> and, and, and her whole thing is always like, you know, not everyone can get up like you. She's going, you spring out of bed because like every day of your life, you just do whatever you want. You get to tell stories and you figure out how to do that. She's going, so... Yeah, you wake up and you're ready to go because the day is going to hold some fucking adventure for you. She's going, but like, not me. She's going, I'm like everyone else. I'm going to wake the fuck up when I wake
2: up. Yeah.
4: Now, you must have some sort of planning that goes into, like, say, even clerks. Because I remember I saw clerks in the theater when it came out in 1994, and I was a student at Carnegie Mellon at the time. And I remember seeing in the movie there's a girl that I knew named Kim uh, yeah. who was in the movie, what? and she's, like, feeling the muscles of a guy. And I was like, wait, isn't that Kim who dates the Asian design major that lives upstairs from me? <laughs> <laughs> this is how, 100% how, how true. You,
3: how did you – where did you go? Where? I, how did I was at or... Carnegie
4: Mellon, and she was dating a guy who lived upstairs from you. I lived in Doherty A Tower my freshman year, and this guy named Rocky lived upstairs, <laughs> and he was in, like, this uh, fraternity, ever so we'd see her come over all the time. Uh, I didn't really yeah, know him very well, was... but, yeah.
3: She was, hold on. So she was a DG sister. She went to Delta Gamma. Yeah. But she hung out with the boys at SIGTOW. Yes.
4: Yeah. So and they, they had, Rocky, uh, they lived in this building I was in called Doherty A Tower because they'd gotten kicked off of Greek Row at some point. Um, so that's why we were all in the same building when I was a freshman.
3: Oh my God. That's hysterical. Yes. Kim, my high school girlfriend, Kim yeah. Lockerin, um, went to Carnegie Mellon. Like uh, she was one year behind me in high school. So she went to CMU and I... Would go get on a train from Metro Park in New Jersey, take a nine-hour train trip to Pittsburgh to go hang out with her for like three, four days at a clip. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, so I spent a lot of time, formative time, at Carnegie Mellon. First time I ever saw uh, Citizen Kane was in the Carnegie Mellon Library on a laser disc.
2: Oh wow, yeah.
3: Um, I, and I sk- like I didn't have a traditional college experience and, and dropped out and shit like that. As you well know, CMU is about as traditional a college experience as you can get. They got a campus, yes. they got Greek likes if you're into that. There's constantly activities. There's a you know a fucking cafeteria. The cafeteria was the thing that blew my fucking mind. I was like, I can eat all this cereal. Like I can just keep eating the cereal. So Kim so Kim was um, a Delta Gamma sister and a Tau little sister. Yeah, And Kim and I dated on and off for like 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she was in Carnegie Mellon, uh, that was our most emo-licious uh, period of our relationship. <laughs> uh, torn apart, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, star-crossed, if you will, because she was all the way out in western Pennsylvania and I was in New Jersey. But all of that time is reflected in Clerks. Um, Rocky, like, uh, I met Rocky, like, long before she dated him, she wound up dating Rocky, like, senior year, Mm -hmm. like, the tail end of her senior year, but, you know, she was a Sig Tao little sister and stuff, so I always heard about Rocky and then met Rocky when I went out there and stuff, and she would always say, like, Rocky, and I'd be like, which one's Rocky, and she's like, the Asian design major. And so I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, which is, it, it was the 90s, so, you know, so it yeah. was kind of low key um, racist, I guess, you know, to be like, fucking, <laughs> oh, the Asian design major. Like, I reminded me of a commercial when we were kids uh, that the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter day Saints put out, the Prejudice commercial where the kids, like fishing with his grandpa. And he's like, "Uh, Dad, you know, Jimmy called me prejudiced today. And he's like, "Uh, who's Jimmy? And he's like, well, Jimmy's my Jewish friend. And he goes, (laughs) well, then you are prejudiced because you think of Jimmy as your Jewish friend and not just your friend. And so whenever we would say, like the Asian design major, I'd always be like, well, we think of him as our Asian friend, not just our friend. <laughs> but that was how we how we identified him and stuff because there were a lot of dudes in that sorority, yeah. in the fraternity, rather. Now, he also like when I put that in the movie, um, people for years didn't understand was he was the character an Asian. Comma design major, <laughs>
4: or studying Asian design, yeah.
3: or was he a major in Asian design? Yeah. So for years, and and you know when fucking when people would ask me because I meet people from Carnegie Mellon over the years and be like, did this movie have some connection to Carnegie Mellon? I'm like, fuck yeah, my girlfriend, my ex girlfriend, my on and off girlfriend for twelve years um, went there, and the Asian design major thing like came right from there. And when I made Clerks they had never been a couple. They were just friends. Uh, Mm -hmm. Me writing that, like, Caitlin winds up with an Asian design major was paranoid fantasies (laughs) of a guy stuck in Jersey, and I picked the person that I assumed was the least likely person (laughs) that Kim would ever have a, a relationship with and used him as the character in the movie. And so after, like, while we were making Clerks, Kim and I were dating during that period, So she's in the movie. You see her in the flick. Mm -hmm. Um, Then after the movie was done, that's when she, her final year at Carnegie Mellon, she wrapped school and stuff. And we had this big kind of like breakup and stuff. These breakups, we would always break up over the phone and shit. And then somebody would call somebody back. And I waited for her to call me back. And it was the night before her graduation from CMU. It was such a dick move. We had a fight. And I was like, well, I'm not coming out there to the graduation (laughs) and hung up. And I thought she'd call me back. And she didn't. And so the next morning I was like, you know, Scott, we got to rent a car because we were in post-production on Clerks. Mm -hmm. I was like, we got to rent a car and drive out to Pittsburgh to see Kim graduate because we just broke up last night. And he's like, none of that makes sense. So I drove (laughs) out to CMU with, with uh, Moj, watched Kim graduate and then drove back without even talking to her and stuff. And I thought it was such a, move. I was like, yeah, this will fucking show her how cool I am. And then I went back home to Jersey and figured, all right, now she's graduated. She's coming back to Jersey, so of course she'll call me. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a week went by, she didn't call me, two weeks went by. And so I called her mom, and I was like, hi, where's Kim? Did Kim come home? And she's like, Kim's in Cape Cod with Rocky. <laughs> and I was like, what What do you mean? Like, they all, everyone went, the Sigtau family? And she's like, well, you know, yes, but I think her and Rocky are involved in a relationship, Kevin. And I was like, What? Oh,
2: <laughs> like
4: man. that, oh,
3: that was in the movie. Like I wrote about that in, in the
4: movie. The so, power in your was, hands right there. You could I know. Oh my happen. god. And
3: it's I made it happen. I made I made Manifest Destiny, man. I fucking manufactured that reality. But um and I remember like that summer. Like, uh, Kim, like came back to New Jersey with Rocky and he was staying at like her parents place. And, you know, I was like, well, come down and see your scene. You shot your scene, come down and and see it. And she's like, well, I'm with Rocky. And I was like, oh, you could bring him." I was trying to be the cool Mm -hmm. ex-boyfriend who could be friends with the current boyfriend. And so they came down to RST video, like the same video store from in the movie and watched, you know, everything I'd cut together at that point, including Kim's scene and stuff. And I went next door to Quick Stop. I was like, "You guys, if anybody needs a video, just tell them I'm next door." And then uh, when they were done watching it, I chit chatted with them, and then they left and walked home because Quick Stop is only like a mile from her house and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching them walk away holding hands and being like, "Oh my God, there goes my entire future!" Because Kim, I'd banked on even before I knew what I wanted to do in life. I was Lloyd Dobler. I just wanted to marry Kim Lockett, And That was it. <laughs> and Kim, quite like Veronica. And Caitlin in the movie are always encouraging Dante to fucking like do something like you have more potential than this. It's going to waste in this place and blah, blah, blah. All of that came from Kim. Like basically if, if I was the model for Dante and Brian Johnson was the model for Randall, Kim was the model for both Veronica and Caitlin. Mm -hmm. Um, she, she's a character looms so large in my life that she filled two roles in that movie. Um, And uh, of course I still know her. She's married, unmarried and stuff, but uh, you know, we're we're still in contact. She's one of my closest friends in the world. Like growing up technically, uh, you know, now in retrospect, she was like my best friend. She was my first like hardcore audience really believed in me, like made me feel like I was funny and shit like that. Just a, a, like a, a relationship that meant the world so much so that like, you know, we kept it going longer than it probably needed to, but, but we were, you know, we grew up together more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, fucking that's, that is all tied into Carnegie Mellon and shit. And, and then years later, I went back to shoot, um, dogma in Pittsburgh based on having been there so often with Kim for Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. And we actually shot on campus. We used one of their buildings on campus, uh, the one w- where they go to movies corp, yes. um, movie corp. And there's a church like right outside the window. That's on the CMU campus, one of their like lecture halls or yeah. something like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's. I didn't go there obviously, but somebody very dear to me did. And because of that, I spent time there. Like I'll never forget Walking onto that campus and being like, this is the fucking building from Creep Show. Like, cause they, <laughs> yeah. Because it's out there in Pittsburgh. And so Romero shot some, some some creep show there. Yeah, I
4: saw him uh, at a cafe one time just walking around in Pittsburgh and it's like, that's George Romero right there. Didn't want to bug him. Nuts,
3: man. (laughs) So you know that whole area like fucking Squirrel Hill and all that Squirrel Hill
4: and you probably went to the O all the time for pizza when you would come visit and all that stuff. Yes,
3: absolutely. Which now closed. I I tried to find the O by myself the first time I went there because I surprised Kim. I didn't tell her I was coming. Mm-hmm. And so she wasn't at her dorm, and so I was just walking around campus, and I was like, all right, well, I remember in her letter, she talked about a pizza place called The yeah. O, And I went looking for it. and instead I wound up in some fraternity house. They're like, we don't <laughs> sell
4: pizza. Um, yeah, The Oak is where you get a, a 16-inch cheese pizza for $3, which was worth every penny. Yeah.
3: <laughs> what about, did you ever eat at Galifty's? That was a place yeah. I loved.
4: There, and of course, Permanis and Uncle Sam's Subs was my favorite, I think. But
3: oh, Primanti's as well. They put the yeah. French fries on the sandwiches. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. <laughs> Go on. Boy, you just <laughs> fucking food, food podcast. podcast. I know. Just fucking Pittsburgh, yeah. We could have done an hour on this alone. Uh, yeah.
1: Before we wrap up, I have to – this is an honorable mention uh, story, but I, I have to tell I have to tell you the story. I'll make it very fast. Um I was working at Blockbuster Video in San Diego. I was 25, kind of lost. I'd gone to school for like musical theater and like acting, but I just couldn't figure out how to make I wanted to get into Hollywood. I wanted to work in the industry and work on television and movies and stuff, but I had no idea how to do it. And uh, there was very little to, to kind of, at the time, to just kind of learn about the business was just so weird in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, so it was like early 2000s, mid 2000s or whatever. And uh, I was working at Blockbuster Video and An Evening with Kevin Smith comes out. I watch the movie. I go, oh my god. So So you can just... Ruin credit cards basically and make a movie. <laughs> and you and and like you just kept saying, like, if you're gonna write a movie, you just have to write. Like, you have to, like, just and when you when you, even if a scene sucks, just fucking write through it and just keep going. So, I wrote this. Pretty shitty movie, and uh, quit my job uh, or got fired at a blockbuster video. And then uh, tr- uh tried, I, I sent the script around uh, to like some agents using IMDb Pro, uh, which had just come out. So I was able to like find some agencies' phone numbers and things and, and pitch to them and um, uh, got the script to uh, the one and only Jason Muse's agent. And uh, at, at the time, and uh, he said, uh, he said, yeah. How much are you offering? Um, you know, uh, and I said, I want to get a letter of intent because that is something I had heard in a, in like from somewhere. You get a letter of intent, and then you get to make your movie. That's how mm-hmm. it works. And I offered Jason Muse a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for one. <laughs> <laughs> For one day, right? Uh, for one day of shooting. <laughs> and I had no idea how much actors made. So that's what I offered him, $150,000 for one day of shooting. Let
3: me tell He's still looking for that money. <laughs> oh, look at that
1: money. He signed a piece of paper and they sent it to me. And I, uh, of course, uh, my movie didn't get made. But uh, I end up uh, working on this big time Rush TV show at Paramount. And uh, on the back lot, Jason Mewes. Making a movie. And so I went over to, to visit him. It was like a mobster movie or something. And I went over and I was like, I know this is going to be really embarrassing, but you signed a letter of intent for a movie that I wrote for $150,000 to be uh, for one day of work. And he was like, I will never forget that because it's the most money I've ever been offered in my life for one day of work. <laughs> and it was like, it was like a, such a nice, closure to the server yeah. and he you know he's he's been a very good friend and and a, a wonderful guy but Too funny man. God, it's, man it's
3: crazy he's you're lucky he doesn't call his lawyer and say like he was fair play for <laughs> <time>. I
1: know <laughs> no um, there's one last thing I wanted to bring up to you before we we uh close this uh this uh, thing off and close out this 200th episode um I was at the Stanley Memorial uh, thing at the Chinese theater that you hosted. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was one of the most insane things I've ever experienced as far as like, the magnitude of the people who were there the names of these people and oh, you yeah. had to like
0: Lawrence it, Fishburne reading the raven oh my
1: and, yeah and uh, mike flack was yeah. there as well and uh, and it was so fuck it was a fucking crazy night with a lot of personalities and Hamill was there and um all these uh, all these amazing people um what what was your relationship like with uh with Stan the man before he you know
3: it was uh, really good. It was better than I ever imagined. I thought he was always just being polite to me and stuff. But uh it turned out that he actually liked me. Like and we became uh friends. He uh his
4: uh who was it? His
3: I guess it was his accountant, dude. It was like one day he was like uh you know we were shooting this Audi commercial with Stan around the time that uh um uh Age of Ultron came out. And so it's like the Stanley school of cameo acting is the <laughs> idea of the bit. And so, um, you know, we shot with him all day and, you know, at this point, Stan is, let me see, it was like a couple of years before he passed. So he's easily 92, 93 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, we get a full day out of sh- out of him regardless. He's full of energy and, pep and stuff. And then at a certain point off he goes, we're done with him by like five o'clock. So his, uh, his business manager dude was there to watch the end of the day. He's like, I just want to come out and watch the show. So I was chit-chatting to him after like Stan left and whatnot. And, um, he was like, uh, he loves coming to do stuff like this. And I said, Oh, of course he's a big ham at heart, man. Like you can tell Stan loves being on camera. Always has. And he goes, he loves doing stuff like this with you though. And I was like, Oh, well that's, I love doing stuff like this with Stan. man. that's why I've been doing it for like 20 years. And he said something that made me cry right there on on a lawn uh, in in Beverly Hills is where we're shooting. Uh, The dude goes, um, he thinks of you like a son, and I was like, what? Like incredibly moved by that, and that kind of changed my perspective of our relationship. I always thought he was just being polite to me that he like you know not suffered me, but he was like, hey, it's Kev, good to see you, Kev. But And, you know, he's always complimentary, but he was always very complimentary about everybody. He talks everybody up and stuff. But it took me years to figure out that he just genuinely liked me as a person and liked being around me and stuff like that and liked what I stood for and liked how I conducted myself. and You know, more than just like, you know, oh, he put me in Mallrats. He was like, I actually like him. So it, it, we were friends. It was really sweet.
1: That's really incredible. I mean, Mallrats was the first time that i ever seen him on screen like that was like like as yeah. a you know like where I was like yeah. oh my I remember turning to the person next to me in the theater and going do you know do you know what's <laughs> happening right now you know and they were like I don't I you know it was a, d- <laughs> it was a, it was Put- a girl it was a bad date first and
3: last date. <laughs> <laughs> putting him in that movie was like one of the smartest things I ever did and I didn't do it to be smart I just did it because I'm like oh my god we could have Stan Lee in this fucking movie that'd be amazing <laughs> But boy, it, it's paid dividends for twenty-five fucking years, man. How cool um, was including, it
0: when uh, Captain Marvel, and uh, his character, yeah, and that with him—that was your, tremendous. Your lines—it's
3: true. I got I got a little uh, and like I got a little residual shine myself. Like I saw the <laughs> cover the script and have my name under it, and I was like, "Oh shit, I exist in the Marvel universe! I wasn't snapped away." So yeah, it, <laughs> it, it was great. It was really sweet and it's special that it. With and through him, you know that it was, it was Stan doing a Stan cameo, and one of the only cameos where clearly he's playing Stan. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's really incredible. that That memorial night was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. What, what you were on, you were on stage with someone. We yeah, you thing, were hosting. Yeah, you were hosting the whole night. That was a pretty. That that must have been a pretty bizarre experience. It
3: was uh it was there was a lot of juggling just because there were people coming and going and we had to stick to this kind of schedule, so there was a lot of on the fly stuff. But, you know, a lot of people that loved Stan wanted to be there and wanted to come up and speak. It was awesome when they gave him like the key to the city. It's like the only, you know the only down thing is like, I wish he was there for it. You know, yeah. that would have been fucking cool. But he was, you know, he loved that stuff. He loved to engage with that stuff. It was never like a chore. Like, um, his wife passed away. Joni died. And he was supposed to get his hands and footprints at the Chinese theater, like the next week. And we all assumed he was going to cancel. Cause I was like, i seeing it and shit. And I was like, there's no way he's going to do this. But that dude put on the sweater, put on the Stanley smile and went out there. And, God. Still did it like you know a week later and, and was not you know broken and, and wasn't sitting there crying he was the man everybody expected him to be at that event even though he had just lost his best friend in the world and stuff
4: yeah that's like so we, he, he, he i was just gonna say like we had fred willard on our show and it was about a week after his wife passed away and we just assumed he was going to cancel uh but he like some of these guys like they just love that Super and they feel heroes. like they feel like they owe it to the audience, I think, in a way. And like I think Stan was one of those kinds of guys where they just they're showing up no matter what. And uh, I think it's sort of a work ethic in that generation where they're like, They said I was gonna do it, so I'm gonna do it no matter what.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think too, he was like, Look, Joni would have been there. So yeah. oh, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. do it for Joni.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we we do. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up. Uh, but I gotta I gotta tell you, Kevin. I and I don't want to get like emotional or weird in this. <laughs> but start that, crying. To, uh, to I start th- crying. just want to say, I uh, know. Um, you know, when you when you when you come to LA and you don't know anybody and you're trying to make things work and you're trying to get into this business and, and you're, you're trying to pay stuff, Jason use 150 grand. <laughs> 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 yeah.
4: Oh my God.
1: When you're putting together your letter of intent, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. You you, you, there's people that you look up to that you go, God, I wonder what what it would be like to, to know them or, or get to, you know, uh, be, be friendly with them in, in different ways. And, uh, you, uh, uh, getting, getting to know you or getting to, getting to hang out with you at Sundance with that whole fucking debacle. Um, <laughs> it was, it, I mean, it, you are, uh, uh, truly an incredible and wonderful person. And we're so lucky that, that we, uh. That you were down to, to chat with us and, and do this. Oh, with us my today. God. I'm,
3: so I was honored to be in, here for show 200, man.
1: Cool. Hell, yeah. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you, Kevin. Um,
3: no, I, I apologize for not opening with stay. But
1: you know, <laughs>
3: only Lisa, Lisa Love could pull that, keep
1: that, keep that. All right, man. Stay safe out there. And uh, and lots of love to you and the the family.
3: You as well. Be careful, kid. There's lots of COVID out
4: there. <laughs> oh, All right, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> bye. All
1: right, bye, guys. Bye, buddy. Holy shit!
4: Yeah, are we still recording? Yeah.
1: Oh my god, that was, was amazing! Fucking amazing. Yeah, he was great. That's an amazing. I love everything about what just
0: happened. Exactly what you would want a 200th episode to be. Yeah. yeah.
4: You know, I, I didn't tell him about how he actually saw me when he went to. Kim's graduation because he would have seen me playing drums in the Carnegie Mellon Pipe and Drum Band oh, that day. Oh, <laughs> what? Really? So he probably saw me in a kilt that day. Oh, my God. Yeah, Was the head of your dick hanging at the bottom? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's how I played the drums. Ah. <laughs> oh. uh,
1: for those that don't know, Matt Walker has uh, one of the largest penis. uh, penises in Hollywood uh, or uh, in Monrovia, uh, depending on where he is. You know. They call it Big Red. Yeah, they really they really do. And he uh, uh, you know, it makes it so that he can uh, uh, somehow, uh, you know, have a giant penis and also watch every single episode of Star Trek. I really thought you ever... were going to say
0: and be a giant
4: penis. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah he's, He has a giant yeah. penis and he is a giant. Well, you penis. know what? When, when Kevin was saying something about, like, he's like, <laughs> Kevin mentioned something about not, you know, having seen something two hundred times in a row. or I was like, I'm like, I've seen every Star Trek episode two hundred times in a row. Like I've done that multiple times. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's really funny. It's
4: yeah. so cool to hear somebody like him talk
5: about how it just seems like he works really hard while going with the flow. Mm. And yeah, just like yeah. his path is his path, and he's on a great one. But he also like, like make sure he, he stays really on hard, it. Hard,
0: but he's doing what he wants to be doing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The
4: the ability to turn down work because you don't need that to pay the bills, I think, is really one of those big things that that has made his career what it is because he, like he talked about it in the interview, he talked about like never getting into that situation where it's like, Oh, I need to direct this episode of this TV show. Cause I need the money. I'm going to do the flash because I want to direct the flash. Right. Not cause I need right. the paycheck. And then I'm going to turn those stories into something I can make more money from being on the road. And that's, yeah, I
1: mean, that's fascinating. That's it's yeah. so cool. Yeah. yeah. That was really fun. Um, this, uh, uh, th- this is like the one thing doing this podcast is like the one fun thing that I've gotten, we you know, I've gotten to keep doing during In this. your life. Yeah. And just, <laughs> yeah. It's the one consistent thing though. Like that, that kind of like, like, you know, sometimes, you, you know, do what do, didn't come
0: up during what's all that? of this, uh, why you have a blue beard. But.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a podcast, so <laughs> there's no. no one can see yeah,
0: but no one I did call see. you a blue bearded butt Oh, you're right. Yeah, off, no, so. I
1: currently uh, have a blue beard uh, because I, I I announced stupidly on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram and TikTok to like 1.8 million yeah. people I would uh, dye my beard blue if Biden won. Uh, and, and then he he did, basically, uh, so far. And so I'd say, I mean, as as much (laughs) as one could. (laughs) And so I... So you
4: look like a diabetic Papa (laughs) 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 sweet. I just assume it's it's because he ate so many Otter Pops that color, it just actually dyed his hair.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's like playing uh, sex Jenga at this point. (laughs) Because I'm like, uh, can I still get laid while having a blue beard? Like, is that possible? Can Can I get a date? I don't know (laughs) yet. We'll see. It's been one, old, it's been one day. Yeah. So far, no luck. Your face looks um. like a witch's
2: vagina. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely getting laid. Oh, with I hope so. Yeah.
1: I hope so. Yeah. It is, or is burned a... at the stake. One of the <laughs> it's a hell of a look. It looks like I have a filter on my face at all times. That's yeah. true.
0: It looks like an alternate skin for Zangief <laughs>
5: from
0: Street Fighter.
5: <laughs> Mike Black, go go go! Go
0: Mike! Go Mike! Go!
1: I've done. I've done. Uh, just <laughs> look like I. Uh, all,
0: all the next ones were going to be mean. Mm. Oh,
4: so, oh, oh, wow. Go Mike! Go! Go! <laughs> I think Matt Walker posted. I said it looks like a blew Cookie Monster. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah. solid. <laughs> Since we were talking anything about Blazer Blazer, or anything?
5: I <laughs> know, man. You're just ugly. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So much. Oh. Mm, it um, looks like a chia pet that
1: caught COVID.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I look like a. Uh, I work at a coffee shop in Silver Lake. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> if Moss Man had AIDS.
2: If <laughs> Mossman
1: had AIDS. Goddamn. Unstoppable. He's so good. <laughs> well,
0: like, uh, no, more like
4: if Mossman had Prada Willy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know what that is, Stephen? No. That's a disease where you can't stop eating. <laughs> oh. oh!
1: Wow! Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep them yeah. going, you sons of bitches.
4: <laughs> it's always better when I have to explain the insult. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah. That's a good. That's a good insult.
4: Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, Jewish
5: I, it, rave Santa. Jewish <laughs> rave Santa. <laughs>
0: something that shouldn't exist. Really. <laughs> yes. Jewish rave Santa. Yes. So, Mike, are you
4: saying that you don't think I'm just as rave Santa, but as Jewish rave Santa? <laughs> oh, no. What You're am prejudiced? I doing? Ah. Oh, prejudice. So prejudice. So <laughs> prejudiced. Jewish rave Santa. <laughs> Lesson oh, learned. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Yeah, like um, I, I went from having no auditions uh, for the last few months uh, to I had uh, I, I got an audition last night and then again today I just got one while we were sitting here and I'm like oh yeah this is gonna be great this is gonna be this is the worst possible time to have. Am I auditioning for the part of Steel Wool because <laughs> otherwise I'm not getting it. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I just I want to write back and just go. Does the character have a blue beard? <laughs> and if they go no, then I'll go. I'm not gonna be right for that part. <laughs> I have a feeling my agent would just drop me immediately. <laughs> They're like, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, that's, not, that's I gotta go to a makeup store get some brown brown paint. <laughs> Start painting my beard. Every oh yeah, day. good. Do yeah. do black beard face. Good. Oh black, great. Oh, yeah. Come on, come on. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Which
0: just for men did you use? The one called King Kong's dick, or? What? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a very blue. What, what color would you would you call this? um Depression, <laughs> Eiffel 65. <laughs> <to> depression <laughs> by deep. Just for Men. Deep, deep depression. <laughs> uh, yeah, this uh, midlife crisis. <laughs> if my Just for Men, if shame eating
4: had a color, <laughs> this would be <laughs> it. <laughs> Just saying, Picasso's blue period was far more productive. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's so funny. Oh, man, that hurts, man. That's, a, so
5: that's he, fucking great. It's the 200th ep of this show you've started. Yes. You've got yeah.
1: You just high. end with us insulting you, you 200 this times. This is how I want it. This is what I want. <laughs> this, is, this is what no. it's all about. And you're the new Robbie. This is how we repay
4: you. <laughs> yeah, like you're
1: the new Robbie on the show, Steven. That's be, what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, someone was going to have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that we've had a lot of like, uh guests. Uh, people, you know, uh, announcers and th- and <laughs> like extra, yeah, folks that came in to do stuff and things. Once. What
4: are what is? Uh, if you had to pick one highlight of the 200 episodes, what's oh, your favorite shit. moment? I'll uh, give you mine. Okay, we had uh, Lucas Krushank on the show, who was Fred. Uh, From the internet's Fred Uh, And I had recently been to China And I brought back a bunch of gross snack food And we made him eat Chinese snack foods (laughs) Which included uh, It was dried fish Mixed with almonds And a chicken foot Oh wow And we made him eat it live on the podcast And that was very fun
1: Yeah that was pretty fucking intense Um,
4: Maybe Chef Filippo
1: the one that, the I mean, like the the one that felt the craziest, where it felt like everyone needed to like come up to like do it, was that office uh, thing at the at yeah, LA Comic Con, oh, yeah, because it was like. I was trying to write we were trying to write intros that were funny so Mike Black like helped me fucking write all these intros because I had to go do them on stage and I'm not an announcer and yeah. Mike is yeah. so he like helped me come up with like how to do it and how to say it and what to do with it, and it do you remember fucking- what
0: happened with that where uh, the, the reason I wasn't announcing it was because yeah. we needed someone to man the booth. Yeah. And uh, so as soon as you guys left, I promptly
2: fell asleep. <laughs> 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 you were passed out and someone sent me a watching picture. over the booth. Yeah, <laughs> At Comic-Con, yeah, yes. it yeah, it was great. It was
1: great. And then uh, Mike Glazer was in the audience of the 10,000 people. That was yeah. crazy. Doing uh, and like doing Q&As. doing Q&As with the people up front while Sarah Salthouse was standing like on a, like a, on a riser, on a riser yeah. in the Middle of the of the
4: you know as if she wasn't taller than everyone already. Yeah, she's already
1: so tall. (laughs) So she was great, and she took questions like way out in the audience. And then uh, Matt, you were like. Dead I was in a sound booth. Yeah, yeah. surrounded all the, by all, all these the people. All the nerds
0: with with her must have been like, "She's a Viking goddess."
1: <laughs> 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 yes, absolutely. Yeah. And like Cora was backstage, mm-hmm. like moving people onto yeah. the stage and and making sure that everyone was like set and like good. That yeah. was that was a pretty fucking intense. Yeah, with
4: Brienne, they're taking photos and stuff. Oh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a lot of people helped make this show happen, and, and yeah. we couldn't do it without
1: them. Well, yeah. one that no, I'm one hundred percent.
0: One I'm jealous of that I missed out on was uh, Paul Sorvino Paul Sorvino. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. When you guys he made you dinner, didn't yeah. he? We went to his house
4: and he was releasing a cookbook, so he was singing wow. opera while cooking oh my God. pasta for us. Unreal. So you went to crazy. a good fantasy camp yes. basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was pretty that was pretty fucking Ed too.
0: Asner. That yeah. was that, crazy. Yeah, that one was amazing.
1: What's you know what's really crazy, Mike, about that is like I have done another interview at his house uh-huh. since then, uh-huh. and it was nothing like that interview. Oh, like, really? Wow. He, Hated that we were doing an <laughs> interview with him. I think that the I think it got scrapped. It was for another podcast. Uh-huh. Oh and wow! And he was like not interested. He had a lot of fun on our show. He but, had yeah. so much fucking fun with us, yeah. and he was like kept threatening us with knives. He
0: had a wall of <laughs> knives behind him. Wherever yeah. there wasn't an Emmy, yes, there was, was a knife. knife.
1: <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was so, it was so weird and so fun. And he was fucking he yeah. he he was real loose with us, which was fucking great. I loved it. Walter yeah. Koenig? Canning, yeah. Amazing. It was great. Fuck.
4: And it was crazy. You go to his house, and he's just a collector because he had all those like 1920s comic books yeah. that he had, but then he had every Chekhov doll that ever came out, he had all of his own action figures. Which is great. Which, which is, is like, if you have action figures, I would figures, totally do that. You should have yeah. a wall of your own action figures. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. What about what about you,
5: uh, Glazer? Uh, I, there's a couple that I revisit and I'll listen to a couple of times a year. One of them is with Max Brooks. I think that is oh, an yeah. incredible yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other one, I can't remember his name, but it's the Batman episode. Michael Uslan. F- from Comic-Con. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I think those are two That's of one the most, most inspiring. inspiring.
1: Yeah, Jinx, yeah. my man. Yeah. Go for it, That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, that story that was a that was a hell of a. I became story. like
4: a professor of comic books and the whole deal. Just I wouldn't saying. give up.
5: Yeah, and then I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention Tom Sizemore because oh, that yeah. was My God. unreal.
1: It was. Yeah, it was wild. Fucking. Stephen her... was terrified. I was. You were terrified. terrified. <laughs> I was just talking to. It's like the...
0: interviewing a pirate. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was just talking to Nicole Amy uh Schreiber. Schreiber this morning on the on the drive over here we were uh, chatting a, a bit and I told her that uh, I we, I had once interviewed a, a porn star and that I I ended up not putting out the episode because the it got it went so off the rails that like I started panicking that like <laughs> I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble for this somehow and like that Tom, your mom's gonna bust through the door <laughs> Steven, <laughs> what kind of nonsense yeah um, but with um but with Sizemore it, I felt the same way I was like oh my god we are going to get in so much something is gonna happen there's only one
4: where we actually fucking crazy there's only one that we didn't put out because of that and it's one that we don't even have anywhere the recording's lost so it will never be heard but the Skippy Green episode you and I did oh my god which will never be heard anywhere that was the worst (laughs) that I love Flip
1: Schultz he's a great guy but yeah. that is the worst in character
4: as Skippy Green is not something you want to do on a podcast because yeah, it gets it? it gets very bad very fast yeah, in the, ways you can't I can't even describe
1: there were certain words that were being used that uh, we we just we were like we
4: can't, he was we saying can't. in character in character not something Flip would ever do yeah, but,
1: yeah no no, yeah. no no. it was in character but well. we were like we can't we can't we can't release <laughs> well it, <laughs> <Yes>, we <laughs> it didn't <laughs> get released so that's yeah, <laughs> true yeah. I was like we can't do it we can't yeah. do it um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny uh, when you like to have such an enormous, crazy, like backlog of stuff yep. and, you know, be, well, a lot of times people will say like, oh, what's the episode I should listen to? And it, that has changed. So many times. Yeah. It's always, I,
4: I'm like, well, what kind of stuff are you into? Like, cause now one that I point to is Todd McFarlane. Oh my As god! As being one of the ones that I think is a really good representation, which was, you know, and again, him talking about the struggle of like you know creating some characters and getting into the comic book business and stuff. And I don't care about comic books, but I was still totally into it. So. Yeah,
1: I mean the fucking Bradley Whitford episode that just oh, yeah. just came out. Yeah. In that in in like the first you know there's a moment in there that uh, killed me where we're talking to him. He's three time four time Emmy winner from West Wing. All this stuff where. <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh, Get Out, you mm-hmm. know the dad yeah. from Get Out and uh, and uh, Cabin in the Woods and yeah. all this shit. So we're we're in the middle of talking to him, and um, we asked we're talking to him about something, and in the middle of it, uh, Matt Walker's phone goes bing bing like this, like a yeah. little bing bing kind of goes on, and he goes, "Was that a piano or something? What was that noise?" <laughs> and we were asking him about. Uh, the the show Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And so he was like in the middle of telling us about Handmaid's Tale and you hear like this Beep beep, you know, kind of noise. And he goes, "What is that uh, music?" And then Matt goes, "That's uh Oh no no, that's just my phone making a making a noise. Sorry about that." And he goes, "Imagine if I got angry because of that." And he (laughs) was like, and then he just started. He does like a Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, he starts doing a Christian Bale thing where he's like, he's like, "I'm fucking talking about the fucking Handmaid's Tale, and you're interrupting me with your fucking bullshit sound effects. I'm a respected actor. Pay attention to me." And it was so. It was so fucking funny. Yep. I love that people get <laughs> loose with us and like. Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: Danny Trejo.
1: Oh my god. Oh yeah. Fucking Danny Trejo talking about. Um, and the, as soon as all this COVID's over, the we can sandwich go place. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, the, yeah. talking about the Trejo's restaurants tacos and yeah. the donut shop. Well, yeah, he's like he's like he, can't uh, we were place. like, "What's your favorite restaurant to eat at?" And he was like, "Um." Uh, it's the, like the pantry
4: was, the pantry is the best place, place to, to plan a robbery <laughs> yeah
1: and then we go where do you go after you've done the robbery and it's he like goes Pacific, Pacific Dining, dining Car, car. Yeah. and we go wait is, are you being serious Yeah, and he goes yeah, yeah of course that's where we would go to plan robberies <laughs> yeah. and then that's where we would go to celebrate them and yeah. eat, eat steak and stuff and we were like wait, what's happening? Like, it just kept, you know, yeah. uh, devolving and changing. It was fucking great. It was awesome.
5: It, I feel like if this is the first episode you've checked out with Kevin Smith for the nighttime show, that's um, just scroll. Use that thumb and scroll yeah. as deep as you want. Yeah. There will be something else for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the further, there is a period of time where shit got like, like during the Joey Fatone times, that's around the time where Robbie, uh, Big Fat Robbie, uh-huh. as we call them, was was uh, uh, and we're uh, you know uh, some of us are are, are fat. Yeah. We are. I am fat. And uh, but but he was he was very fat and short. And he would come on the show and he would just do horrifying things yes. on the show. We had yeah. uh, Joey Chelsea Fatone and
4: Chelsea Kane. Chelsea are the two Kane. Kane are,
1: if you if you oh and you have to Really
0: love someone to let them sabotage <sighs> multiple
4: interviews. Yeah, and the the, the was, Dana Dude episode with him where I, he talked about losing his virginity <laughs> no, was fantastic. No
1: no no. And the icing is asshole. I mean. I mean, it was just so. It was so much, but the the yes. Chelsea Kane one is probably the episode where he's he's in the middle uh, of talking uh, to we're talking to Chelsea Kane from Disney Channel, and she's like and, an angel. Oh, she is like the sweetest, most beautiful, yeah. sweet lady and we're in the middle of talking and uh he ended up getting a bloody nose i'm not going to reveal why you just yeah just he got a full-blown blood pouring down his face bloody nose laughing at you laughing at me too hard and then um and then telling a horrific story told a story about about uh, uh ejaculating in his own hair yeah
0: yeah well, so,
1: I mean, yeah. look.
0: Robbie's in a better place now. Yes. He is.
1: He is. I actually asked him, I don't know if I told you this, but I asked him if we could get him on tape, uh, like film, for the 200th episode to, to like- Just have, say hello or something. Say hello, say something, and, and he said, uh, I don't want my children to know- that I was a part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Robbie, you were in like twenty fucking episodes of the yeah, show. Like yeah. what are you talking about? How would, yeah.
0: And how, how would, who would and, ever let you adopt children?
1: Yeah. Like, <laughs> who would yeah. and we what in like? What do you have children? He was like no but I'm getting married soon to a very lovely man and there's a very good chance we're going to have kids together. No. And I was like oh god the everything crazy, about
0: Here's the crazy like, thing I Robbie, want to talk to that man. Uh, I should what, call here's him. Here's the
4: thing Robbie is now the most mature person yeah. involved with this show. That's yeah. true.
1: He left our show to write uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, uh, campaigns yeah. and yeah. makes a fuckload of money. That is the level of
0: maturity him. we're talking
1: about. That's how far down we are. God bless him. God bless him. He's a great, yeah. he's a sweet kid. And, yeah. and did and we we did a lot of weird shit with him over the yeah. years. But anyways, um I uh uh G- Glazer, getting getting you involved in the show. Yeah, dream come true. You know, it was like big deal for us. I yeah. mean, we were we at the time Emmy nominated my Emmy nominated. I think the
5: cool thing for me is that we're recording this. Can I say where we're recording? Yeah. Okay, because this is where I met all of you because I was working the door here. So to have the 200th episode be back at the place that I was working where I got to meet everyone is so... Yeah, perfectly full circle. Cool, it's great.
1: Yeah. yeah. No. No. It, it's it's pretty f- wonderful, man. Yeah. And, I mean, at the time, I always thought this was so funny. It's like we were writing these monologues for the live show, and we would ha- we think we had like six or seven guys, all very funny, nice guys, sending in jokes every yeah. week, and then Mike Glazer shows up, and and it's just like. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Mike's going to write that <laughs> That was the best. He's going to write the him? The guy yeah. checking IDs? Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. Right. That's it. The, everyone else can get we're, we're done. We're O-Shack. done. Oshak? I know you're listening <laughs> to this. I know. I love I Oshak. <laughs> Mark Mealy. Every, all the guys that helped us all great. write jokes. And, they were all fucking. Yeah, yeah Tripoli wrote yeah. jokes for us. Oh and my fucking god. Fucking bangers. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, once Glazer got involved, and then getting to do the live show and having Glazer out in the audience. Keeping the fucking energy moving and like keeping the show going, taking good questions, giving people shit for not having good questions. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, like, learning,
5: uh, especially with some of the crazy guests that we've had on those live shows yeah. like you if somebody's wearing like too bright a jacket and is raising their hand too aggressively like <laughs> i've learned so many times like they'll yeah. take the mic from you and just yes. like oh yeah go to ta- it's wild man learning don't
0: ever let them take the microphone just yeah, yeah, it like, you. your hand <laughs> <laughs> so and, crazy. and the night i told you that what happened some guy fucking lurched for it
1: yeah. <laughs> and, and you oh. were like no no <laughs> <laughs> i was given instructions yeah i love that that was so great and then i mean having having an announcer on a podcast is like not a thing, really. That yeah. happens. Like, I've, I listen to a lot of shows that no one else has a mic black, and that's right. And when <laughs> we, we, except have, the power
4: pals, they have a mic, yeah, yeah, they do, they yeah. do. They're very lucky. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't
1: really do the announcing on
0: that, I, I do it on this show, oh. you know, yeah, I do, I do like a normal like NPR type <laughs> intro for that. I don't know why. Thank you but for listening. I mean, the
4: show it,
0: is a different kind of animal, you know, yeah. so. It yeah. brings a
1: lot of heat though, man. I mean, it starts like the it show helps. off with a big mm-hmm. fucking kick, yeah. you know? Thank um, you. We've got yeah.
4: that and a great theme song written by Eric uh, Kluber. Yeah. Which just kicks yeah, it off absolutely. with his intro and that song. It's just like it, he gets you the energy up and we're good to go yeah he has uh, my face
1: tattooed on his arm yeah <laughs> speaking <laughs> of bad decisions makes, yeah, everybody makes choices you, you um, can shave your
4: beard off at oh, least he's got to cut off a hunk of skin to I know. fix his Fuck it. Matt
1: Walker though I mean let's just uh, the big dicked Matt Walker um, <laughs> big brain that should <laughs> big be on brain. Your business card <laughs> big brain big, big dick, dick Matt Walker <laughs> <laughs> uh, fascinating uh, from, I mean from
4: the top right at the yeah beginning can we talk about Star Trek day. for a minute tech wiz. Tech where whiz. are you from uh, grew up in Pico Rivera California yeah. Pico Rivera big
0: dick Matt Walker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: the mm. amount of the amount ima- like in the beginning and the first conversations about getting having you do this and be mm-hmm. the guy and do the thing like Trying to figure out how the dynamic would work. I'm so fucking happy that it worked out. You first asked me to like,
4: would you be willing to produce a podcast that I'm on that you're not on? And I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not willing to do <laughs> and that. And then I was
1: like, you could be like the Robin. And I'm you like, could be no. Robin. And you were like, no, I don't no. want to do that we're shit. Doing we're doing it. We're
4: co-hosting the no, show. That sounds fucking yeah.
1: gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy the way yeah. that it worked out. Like, how could I?
4: work in Star Trek at every episode if I do that. Exactly. <laughs> so.
1: Exactly. No, it, it you know like well you're the smart you're the smart one that I don't know how to do anything and so I go I, uh, constantly I call you oh. going yes. I called him the other day and just said what is the election exactly? Yeah, he, yeah. I had and to explain to him how it, it worked
4: and what the electric college was and how that worked. You
0: asking him to co-host this was kind of like asking, would you mind if I become the reason you get an
4: ulcer eventually? (laughs) 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 Oh my god.
1: Oh my god. And like the equipment too, like you'd never used the the fucking equipment before. (laughs) You had to like learn all new shit. And originally it was very fucking difficult because we had really hard equipment and then we got sponsored by Zoom. And
4: Zoom and Sennheiser have been fantastic. Like Since then the sound quality's gone way up and uh, everything's gotten much better yeah you bet we've been there for about a year right
1: yeah yeah absolutely just about a year yeah. yeah
5: and then there's Steven well there's me uh, look, and that's enough. That's so there a, we uh, go. Yeah, every show has an albatross. So, you know,
0: <laughs>
4: we've been carrying him for years. Yeah. They Absolutely. really have, guys. Superman really has really his kryptonite.
1: <laughs> we have even... Oh, is that the beard? Yeah. yeah. I like how like it started. Our show started with like people that I kind of had in my phone that I kind of knew, yeah. sort of, you know. Yeah. And then it slowly that yeah. shit you just have done a great job branched. booking people on the show. Over yeah. The years. Like we've got yeah. people
4: on here that. Uh, sometimes I'm surprised, like, how did we get them? And you're just like, oh, I just called them up.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, Alex, like over, over, um, uh, what's it called? Over, quarantine. Over quarantine, yeah. Alex, uh Zappetta, yeah, she's done a lot of help. Alexandra so, yeah. Zepeda became like. The, my go-to person to be like okay we, I need I needed help to like reach out to people and she did a yeah. fucking great job and we've had publicists and people that have helped yeah, out but too but I'm just I gonna be straight it.
5: up man you work your ass off like you really do work hard so wow. Wow. I'm just gonna say one nice thing if, if, you, if you work, work it really off hard. then
4: what the hell is that thing you're sitting on because it's <laughs> enormous <laughs> for real you I am agree, yeah, uh, yeah, no. yeah I, I mean, no I appreciate it but a, I
1: look I, I have a real interest uh, in, in wanting to have some I didn't I, when we Started this thing, everyone was like, the big thing at the time was comics were doing podcasts with where they were other interviewing comics. other comics, and I was like, I don't give a shit. About hearing about <laughs> fucking some, some road comic, gig in Utica, you know, give New York. Me a fucking <laughs> break. Yeah. So I could not be less interested. Bradley
5: Whitford or that story about the <laughs> restaurant after the second show
1: on a Saturday. Yeah. 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 Who, who yeah. books that no. up
0: in Cincinnati? When can <laughs> yeah. I get on
1: your podcast? Oh, I mean, the amount of times I've heard. Yeah. When can I get on the podcast? I'm like, it's not for you. Yeah, we've only had. You <laughs> no, haven't, you haven't not- won a Grammy. It's not yeah. for you. We've only
4: had a few comedians, but, and that's because they did other stuff. Like when we had. You know, uh, Felipe. It was Felipe. It's because it you know he's got something unique to talk about. That's he did an Superstore, and then he's story. got he's got a bilingual comedy special on Netflix, which yeah. nobody's ever done before. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, and he's a friend, and we love him. But he's also and uh, it's
0: really not disrespect to comics because the truth no. is, they're out every night telling their story. Yeah, yeah. We're getting people that aren't. You yeah. know that never really get to tell their story.
1: No, you're you totally know. right, and it's not to like shit on them. It was just at the time that yeah. was like the most popular thing. At four, right. it was four yeah. or five years ago since no. we started the show. So like, yeah. it was a different time. And but I was the, just like,
4: the biggest yeah. thank you goes out to the twelve of you that are less left listening to this one hour and forty five minute episode <laughs> yeah, exactly. of this yeah. long ass podcast. As you, as podcast. you go or into Kevin Smith, careening yes. off a cliff <laughs> yes, to, in I your know. car. I Although know. you've all tuned out by now, but thank you yeah. anyways. Yeah, for thanks so.
2: Much for listening Thank to the everybody. Nighttime
1: Show podcast. Please uh, share it with your friends. Let them know what's going on. Um, and uh, we, we, you know, we love and adore you guys. Uh, where can you guys? Uh, where can you be found, uh, Mike Glazer? Where can people find you?
5: Uh, I also do a podcast. It's called Weed and Grub. Mm-hmm. It's just smoking, snacking, talking about culture, doing hot bits. So if you are looking for another podcast, it's called Weed and Grub. Check it out.
0: Self-promoting son <laughs> of a <laughs> son of TNA. a bitch. Mike Black. What podcast are you on? This <laughs> I'm also on the. podcast. Power Pals, and I do other people's podcasts from time to time as well. And Mike Black Attack. Uh, yeah, Mike Black Attack on all social media. Yeah, and that's
1: it nice you Uh, you
4: can find links to everything at funnymatt.com or if you're upset by me let me know at mattwalkersucks.com and I do also host a podcast with Stephen that's terrifying limited run if you want to hear a good true crime podcast Uh, it is called Juror Number 8 and you'll hear all about a man who uh, killed and dismembered his mother allegedly as part of a satanic ritual it's so good (laughs) I hate to say that about this but it's so good it's so good it's a really good show
1: yeah it's really good Um, you can always get me at Stephen Glickman S-T-P-H-E-N Lickman on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Uh, Steven K. Lickman on TikTok. Uh, I love you guys all. Thank you so much. And um, thanks, Kevin Smith. Thank you. Oh,